You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. What an affirmation. What a wonderful reminder to know that the God who made the heavens and the earth loves us. And he loves us with an intimate love. First of all, I want to say what a privilege it is for me to be invited back here at Tyndale and to offer reflection on a couple faithful black Christian leaders and influencers in my own life from the past and the present, and of course to share about their importance to me and why the influence should be important to us as we live within a very, very divided world. It is my hope that through my reflection today, that it may lead us truly to consider the ways in which the Spirit of God is inviting us to respond faithfully to the story of Je Jesus and his vision for the kingdom of God. I want to highlight how much I do appreciate the prophetic imaginations and as we have heard from Revelations today. Even though they saw consistent chaos and brokenness within the worlds and the times in which they live, they often point to another reality. They show us a differenti differentiated unity that needs to recapt be recaptured, especially within our own present time today. And so I begin my as I begin my reflections, I want to begin with these words which were read again from Revelation 7, 9 to 12, and in some sense, it truly captures my own philosophy and shapes the way that I seek to be God's telos in the world. Hear these good words that calls us from the spaces where our minds may presently reside. I look again and I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes and races and languages. And they were standing dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb, heartily singing salvation to our God, and on his throne, salvation to the Lamb. And all who were standing around the throne, angels, elders, animals, they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, singing, oh yes, the blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving, the honor and the power and the strength to our God forever and ever. Oh yes. As I speak on recapturing God's holistic vision for our time, might I invite us to ground us within scripture in order to safeguard our own hearts and our minds, especially in reflecting on the divided and the fragmented times in which we live and, and work our way out from there. For those of us who are students of the word, we all know that God's purpose in Abraham, in which continue to the patriarchs, and which reached its culmination in Jesus was to create a people that will bring blessings to the world and undo the damage that was caused by the fall. And so as people of this new exodus, we are cognizant that we find meaning by looking back at God's creational purposes and looking forward to his coming kingdom that the Messiah Jesus as King of Israel is the fulfillment of God's desire to create a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who will reflect him in the world. 
and this would mean that our very diversity, my Afro-Caribbean-ness, your European-ness, your Asian-ness, your South Asian-ness, your nativeness, whatever your ethnicity is, it is a manifestation of the saving power of God's glorious gospel. And that we together on the one king are the climax of the covenant to the manifestation of God's glorious grace. The nature of the gospel to which all of us are indebted to. It demands that whatever your ethnicity, in my case, my blackness endures forever and be visible until eternity. Our ethnicity, as we see within the passage that was read, it is eschatological. The gospel message, it informs my own understanding that a human Jewish Jesus is the key to my identity as an Afro-Caribbean male and my anthropology. I am who I am because my ancestors were created to offer our distinctive gift to the creator God. And so the goal for each of us is really Christ. He is our true North Star. And so what was Jesus' goal? His goal was all about reconciling all of us. Jesus gathers all of our failures and together of even our oppressors. And this is just mind-boggling. And he deals with it on the cross. And this means for each of us, even as we think about all that is happening within our world, that we can live our Christian life in the presence of Christians, of friends, of enemies who disappoint us because Jesus did. The gospel is clear. God wants to redeem all of who we are. That Christ's reconciling work climaxes with the entire family of God united one to another by the blood of Jesus. This is mind-blowing. That my blackness, which includes the story of my ancestors, our journey from freedom to slavery, our kinship with the deep suffering of Christ, is affirmed as unique manifestations of God's desire to create a peculiar people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And this is my trajectory. This is my grounding. And this is where I give my reflection. And so I invite you to stand, to sit with me in solidarity. As I think about the list of black Christian individuals who have shaped my own life, the list is numerous. But I would submit two in the interest of time. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Reverend Dr. Brenda Salta McNeil, who has gone on to join that great cloud of witness. We have one, which is Dr. Martin Luther King, who is very familiar to many of us, and the latter, who may not be as familiar. So Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Many of us, we are familiar with his own story, but again, just to allow us to recall, he was a civil rights legend from the mid-1950s. He led a movement to end segregation and counter prejudice in the United States through the means of peaceful protests. His speeches and notices are some of the most iconic of the 20th century and had a profound impact on national consciousness. 
His leadership contributed to the overall success of the civil rights movement in the mid-1900s and still continues to impact. I recall this particular article that was written by Machiko Kakatunatani, who is an American literary critic, a former chief book critic for the New York Times. In her article, she recalls the day of Dr. Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream speech. And she notes that it was late in the day and it was hot after a long march and afternoon of speeches about federal legislation, unemployment, racial and social justice. 250,000 people were gathered that day as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, he finally stepped to the lectern in front of the Lincoln Memorial to address the crowd. He began slowly, which was described as this magisterial gravity, talking about what it was like to be black in America in 1963 and the shameful condition of race relations a hundred years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Dr. King, unlike any other speaker, he situated the civil rights movements within the broader landscape of history, time, past, present, and future, and within the timeless vistas of scriptures, and that's why I admire him. Machiko noted that Dr. King was about halfway through the prepared speech when Mahala Jackson, a gospel legend who earlier that day had delivered this stirring rendition of this spiritual, I've been buked and I've been scorned. And she shouted out to him from the speaker's tent, tell him about the dream, Martin, tell him about the dream. That's like the way growing up within the Caribbean churches and you have those wonderful Old ladies and mothers of the faith, that's exactly how they will shout out to you. Tell them about the dream. And she was referring to a riff he had delivered in an early occasions. And so we have Dr. King, he pushed the text and he began an extraordinary improvisation on the dream theme that would become one of the most recognizable refrains in the world. And so with his improvised rift, he delved into history. He jumped from prose to poetry, from the podium to the pulpit, and his voice arced into an emotional crescendo as he turned from the sobering assessment of current social issues to this radiant vision of hope, of what America could be. I have a dream, he declared. Four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. There was this silence, this reverent silence when he began speaking, and when he started to talk about his dream, they called out, Amen, preach it, brother, preach it. And so he recalled that one could feel that the passion of the people flowing to him. And even James Baldwin, who was a skeptic of that day's march in Washington, would later write, in that moment, it's almost like I stood on a height and I could see our inheritance. Perhaps we could make the kingdom real. You see, Dr. King's speech was not only the heart of an emotional cornerstone of the march on Washington, but it was a testament to the transformative powers of one man and his words. 
60 years later, it is a speech that can still move people to tears. 60 years later, it's the most famous lines are recited by school children and it's sampled by musicians. 60 years later, the four words, I have a dream, it has become a shorthand for Dr. King's commitment to freedom, social justice, nonviolence, inspiring activists from Tiananmen Square to Soweto, Eastern Europe to the West Bank. Why does Dr. King's dream speech exert such a potent hold on people around the world and across generation? Part of it is said because it resonates with his own moral imagination. Part of it resides in his, majest, his masterly development to speak and to make a connection with his audience. And part of it resides in his ability developed over a lifetime to convey the sense of urgency through language richly led with biblical and historical meanings. Quotations from the Bible, along with this vivid imagery, suffused his writing and he used them to put the sufferings of the African Americans in the context of scripture, to give black audience members encouragement and hope, and white ones this visceral sense of identification. In his dream speech, Dr. King alludes to a famous passage from Galatians when he speaks of that day when all God's children, black men, white men, Jews, Gentiles, Protestants, Catholics, will join hands. As he did in many of his sermons, he also drew power between the Negroes still in exile in his own land and the plights of the Israelites in Exodus. Who, on their side, they found deliverance from the hardship, the oppression, escaping slavery from Egypt to journey to the promised land. His speech that day, the march on Washington, it is still something that reverberates. It reverberates with biblical rhythms, with parallels, references to historical literary texts that would have resonated with his listeners, in addition to allusions to the prophets Isaiah. I have a dream that one day every valley will be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, and Amos... We will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. The echoes also of the Declaration of Independence concerning the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He, he, he quotes from Shakespeare, the sweltering summer of the Negroes' legitimate discontent and popular songs of Woody Guthrie's, the land is yours. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. You see, the knowledge that Dr. King gave his life to the cause, it lends an added tenderness to the experience of hearing his speech today, even within a fresh way. It would not be easy to transform the divisiveness of a nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Many things have happened that Dr. King never foresaw. We know that on the 50th anniversary of his death, we had the first black president, Obama, 
actually standing there giving a speech. We also have this, this monument that is built in honor of him. But Martin Luther, he dreamed of a future in which a nation would embark on the sunlit path of racial justice. And he foresaw the bitter, sweet, pre-science that 1963, as he put it, it is not an end, but a beginning. He had a vision of the future. He had a vision that moved him beyond what he saw within the present time. And I believe that this was something that was given to him by God. So what are some things that we can learn from him? The importance of recognizing our collective unity is something that we can learn within our own present time. You see, achieving justice and liberation for all people, for him, depended on recognizing our shared humanity, our shared destiny. The impacts of segregation, of injustice, they are not limited to the oppressed, but they extend to everyone in our society. The next thing that we can learn is understanding the different layers of racism and other forms of oppression. Sometimes we think about racism and sexism only as blatantly shocking acts of language. But this narrow definition of oppression ignores the impact of systemic and structural oppression as well as the impact of implicit bias and stereotypes. And so to understand racism, we have to unpack its different layers and manifestation, internalized racism, impersonal racism, and systemic racism. Dr. King understood well that unless we addressed racism within ourselves, within our communities, and in the broader systems that govern everyone's life, we would not achieve justice. The next lesson that we can learn from him is the importance of evolving our ideas and our strategies. His strategies throughout was evolving. He used strategies like organizing direct action, sitting, civil disobedience, writing letters, giving speeches to those in power, using the media to bring images of the civil rights into people's own home, mobilizing young people. The next thing that we can learn from him is that young people are powerful. Young people knew how important this movement was and they wanted to participate and he invited them into this space. They attended marches and protests and even boycotted school in certain places to participate. And when people across the nation saw young people putting their lives and their bodies on the line, it forever changed the way in which they saw the civil rights movement. The next thing that we can look at is movements are made up every, of everyday people. Oftentimes we hear about leaders like Dr. King and we think of them as extraordinary people, capable of doing great things than average people. But Dr. King, he defined leadership as everyday acts, intentional acts, and leading through love in all that we do. He believed in ordinary people doing extraordinary things. The next thing that we can learn from him is the fact that words, words do matter. 
I have been to the mountaintop, this letter from Birmingham jail, and of course the eye of a dream through his writing, his speeches. King outlines the vision of America that was inclusive, where the color of a person's skin had no importance compared to the content of one's character. And so we remain woefully short of this reality the king envisioned, but articulating that vision empowered others to dream alongside him. Reading, rereading some of these speeches, these letters, this essay, is a reminder that all of us can lead others through the power of carefully choosing our words, what we say. And lastly, a movement is more powerful than an individual. Had he only been a writer, King would be an important American figure. Had he mainly given powerful sermons, he would still speak. We would still speak of him today. And yet he was so much more than that. And a large part of it was because he mobilized thousands of people. He inspired millions to act. He did so through persuasion, through careful, hardworking of convincing people one by one that the struggle was everyone. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. This is what he once said. The next individual I wish to highlight is Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil is an associate professor of reconciliation studies at Seattle Pacific University, directing reconciliation studies program. She's also the Associate Professor of Preaching and Reconciliation at Quest Church in Seattle. She's the author of Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0, A Credible Witness, Reflections on Power, Evangelism, and Race, and the Heart of Racial Justice, How Soul Change Leads to Social Change, co-authored with Rick Richardson. Her newest book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice, is now out. It came out in August of 2020. My first exposure to Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil was at Urbana 2006. She, was a hu- she had a very huge impact on my intentional journey in being an agent pursuing justice and racial righteousness. I have read several of the books that I have noted earlier, and all of which I have found to be seeped with scriptures and addressed what it needs, what we need in order to repair this broken, this fragmental world in which we are living in. Living within the times where much engagement is um, taking place on so many different, necessary, and important conversation about racism and the need for racial justice. Her book and her, only, her own journey has been very helpful even within my own life. You see, Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, she is an expert on the topic of racial reconciliation. In following her own journey, following her talk, reading her own books, it's almost as she invites us into her own journey of transformation in her thinking about race relations and racial righteousness, while helping us to understand our own journey as well. In her book, Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0, She unpacks her definition of reconciliation as an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, justice, 
that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. And this is what God intended from the beginning and is what God has entrusted to each of us. What she acknowledges is that reconciliation is a journey, but we get there if we walk together and we stay on the road. What I love about Dr. Brenda is that in following her over and over again, it's almost like this gentle invitation, come. She believes that we are living in a strategic time in history and that the church has an answer to the question to what the world needs when it comes to racial injustice, division, and hatred. You and I have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. As in the words of Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, so when this generation asks us, are you coming or not? We hope that the answer would be a decisive yes. Her book, for those of you who are interested, I would highly recommend that you pick it up. Her book, Roadmap to Reconciliation, is a book that shows us in practical ways how to do that. She notes the distinction between racial reconciliation and racial justice. And for her, it's all about redeeming the term reconciliation and really placing it from a very Christocentric view. Brothers, sisters, friends in Christ, I invite you to recapture God's holistic vision for our times in seeing a fragmented world being made whole through you and I, ministers of this new covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ, that God in Christ has rescued you and I within this radical way. And it's all about sharing this message. It's the message that's worth each of us positioning our lives in the center of its reality. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue around the throne worshiping the Lamb who has redeemed us. Please hear these good words as you go today. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rests, remain, and abide with us both now and forevermore. Amen.